every Sunday at Calvary Church, roughly 4,000 people come through these doors and participate in part of the services here at the church. Now, not every person who's part of Calvary Church comes every week. So when we think about the sort of size of the church or the number of people who consider Calvary Church to be their home, we use the number about 5,000. Now, of those 5,000 people who are associated with Calvary Church, roughly 2,351 or so people are in some form of smaller community. What we mean by that is that small community, that means sort of your family here in the church family, not your biological family, but that smaller group at the church that you don't have to wear name tags for. Uh, Everybody there knows your name. They're journeying with you through life. You meet regularly together. You're praying together. You are experiencing life together. If uh, one of you in the group is having a difficult experience in life, it's the others. These are the people who walk with you, who are there for you, who help you as you journey through the difficulties of life to stay true to the biblical principles God has given to us. This is the group of people that when the inevitable bouts of pride arise in our life, this is the group that holds us accountable that says, hey, I love you, but knock it off. Stop acting like that. This is the group that we are journeying through together with. Now, our goal for Calvary Church, as you see, is for everybody to be part of some form of smaller community here at the church. You see, there are two things that we think are most foundational for your participation here. The first is that you participate in the gathered assembly, the worship that we do on Sunday morning. You're here. That's great. You're doing that. That's the most important thing that we do. We gather together to worship God. The second most important and foundational thing is to be connected to some smaller form of community whether that's an adult congregation that meets here on a Sunday morning, a neighborhood small group, some form of serving group like being involved in the choir or something like that, some connection to a smaller group that you are journeying through life together with. Now, those are not the only two things that Christians do. We're also engaged in praying for three non-Christian friends and family members. We want you engaged in serving in the nursery or in the middle school ministry. But if you asked me, what are the two most foundational things for every person who's part of Calvary Church? It's those two things. Participate in the worship assembly on Sunday morning and then be connected to a smaller community. But the question that I want to talk about this morning is, why? Why is it so important to be connected to a smaller community? If you're not currently part of a smaller group, why should you be? If you are part of a smaller group, what's the purpose for which you're meeting together? Why are you doing what you're doing? Well, I'd like to answer those questions this morning from the book of Ephesians, 
chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3? If you need a Bible, we'd love for you to follow along. We take the Word of God very seriously here. The church provides Bibles. They'll be in the rack in front of your seat or underneath your seat. In those Bibles, if you turn to page 828, you'll be right where we are in Ephesians chapter 3. While you're turning, let me remind you that as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we've been looking at some important ideas that Paul's been talking about. A few weeks ago, we talked about unity. We talked about maturity. We've talked about identity. This morning, we're going to be thinking about the idea of community. And as we do, we'll be focusing on the last section of the first half of the book. Ephesians is really divided into two halves. The first three chapters, which you heard recited this morning, are focusing on what God has done for us. That's why we got together last week to start the new year. We didn't do anything or resolve to do anything except think about what God has already done for us. It's interesting when you think about the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, at the very beginning of that huge section, Paul starts by saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he thinks about what God has done for us, the first and most important thing that he does is worship. That's why we consider worship to be the most important thing that we do. It's interesting when you get to the end of the first half of the book, the end of chapter 3, the thing that's on Paul's mind at that point is community. And that's why we say the second most foundational thing that we do as a church is gather together in some form of smaller community. Let's look at what Paul has to say in verses 14 through 19. He begins, for this reason, because of all these things that God has done for us, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He's praying. Paul has a prayer request that after all the things God has done for us, Paul says, now I've got something that I have to pray. The rest of the section looks like there are two parts to his prayer request, but that's not actually the case. It's one prayer request stated in two different ways. He's asking for just one thing, but he does it in two slightly different ways. The first time he asks is verse 16 and the first half of verse 17. This is what he asks for. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's his prayer request, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, you may stop and say, but wait a second. He's writing here to Christians, people who have already accepted Christ, who already believe in Christ, who already have Christ dwelling in their hearts. Why would he be praying that Christ would be where he already is? Well, what he's praying 
is that we would experience the fullness of Christ dwelling in our hearts. Yes, if you are a Christian, Christ dwells within you, however mysterious that may be. But what Paul is praying is, look, I don't want him just to sort of be there in theory. I want you to experience on a daily basis the reality of the presence of Jesus in your life. See, Paul doesn't want us to have mediocre Christian lives. Jesus didn't die so we can have mediocre Christian lives. God hasn't done all this stuff that he's done for us so that we can live average, frustrated, mediocre Christian lives. And so Paul, after he finishes saying everything God has done, falls to his knees and says, please, Lord, let them experience the reality, the real presence of Jesus, his joy, his peace, his power. That's what he's praying for. Now, he says this exact same request in a slightly different way with a twist in the second half of verse 17 to verse 19. Same request. Listen to how he says it here. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's praying that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the same request. It's the same request of having Christ dwell in our hearts. What he's saying is, is what I want for you is the fullness of God's power in your life. That's what he's praying. He's praying that we might not have mediocre, average, lifeless Christian experiences, but instead the fullness of the infinite God resident in our lives. Now the twist in this second version of the same request is that Paul actually includes how it is that this happens how it is that we have Christ dwell in our hearts richly, how it is that we experience the fullness of God in our lives. Notice what he says. Being rooted and established in love, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What he's saying is, is look, if you understand how much Christ loves you, then you will experience the fullness of God in your lives. Perhaps the best analogy for this is that everybody in this room knows what it's like to have feelings of insecurity or low self-esteem. Sometimes those feelings are chronic. They come all the time, and maybe it's because we had a parent who didn't love us the way they should have. Maybe it's because we had a spouse who rejected us. Sometimes those feelings are more occasional. In general, we feel great about life, but we still, all of us, find ourselves in circumstances where a job that we're working at, we seem to be failing. There is some circumstance or health issue that's just too big for us. We think about the overwhelming task of trying to be a parent and how far we fall short 
of what's necessary. Whatever it might be, there are times that all of us experience insecurity and low self-esteem. Well, think about one of those times in your life. Does it not just suck the joy out of life? That even if everything is going great, you somehow find a way to turn all that positive into a negative? That when you feel unwanted and unloved and unuseful and insecure, even good things become bad. But on the other hand, at those times when we feel loved, when we feel wanted, when we feel useful, when we feel like we have something to offer, even when life is hard, still negatives can be viewed positively. Our lives are full of joy and of hope and promise. That's what Paul is talking about here, is that as you and I go through our lives, if we do not understand how much we're loved, it will rob us of joy and peace and power. But if you and I could just simply grasp how deep God's love is for us, if we had any idea how much He loves us, if we had any idea how much He desires us, how much he, he takes care of us, all that He's already done to demonstrate His love for us, if we could somehow grasp how loved we are, well, then we would experience the fullness of God's joy and His peace and His power. That's how Christ dwells in our hearts. The more we grasp God's love for us, the more God fills our lives with His very real presence. So the question is, how do you grasp God's love? Well, the key to doing that is community. It's community. Now, there are three ways from this text that I know that the key is community. Let me show them to you. First, this text that we just looked at is immediately followed by our benediction that we say every week. Listen to it. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, where do you find God's power and glory at work? In the church, in the community of believers. This is where God is powerfully present. We can't divorce verses 14 to 19 from what follows. As Paul is praying that we might grasp the depth of God's love, he does so in the context of talking about God being present in the church. There's a second way I know that he's talking about community here. When he uses the language at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, he's already used that language earlier in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says, And God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the 
fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul's already got done telling us, gotten done telling us that the fullness of God is found in the community of saints. And so, in chapter 3, when he talks about experiencing the fullness of God, he's drawing on the language of chapter 1, which is that that happens in community. Finally, and perhaps most explicitly, how do I know that Paul's talking about community here? Verse 18, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints. Now, what that doesn't mean is that Paul's not praying that you might have power just like every other Christian has power. That's not what that means. What it means is that this power is available through our involvement with other Christians, that we have this power together. It's a togetherness thing that through our being with other believers, that's how we have the power to grasp the depth of God's love. What he's saying is this. If you want to experience the fullness of God in your life, you've got to understand how much He loves you. And if you want to understand how much He loves you, that happens in community. Now, that's the general principle, and that's true for every group of Christians everywhere. But here at Calvary Church, we have to take this general principle and figure out a way to apply it to our church. And the way that we are putting Ephesians chapter 3 into practice here is through small groups, through smaller communities. You see, it's going to look different, this passage in every church. It's going to look different in a 100-person church than it does in a 5,000-person church. The principle's the same. If you want the fullness of God, you've got to get how much He loves you. And if you want to understand how much He loves you, that happens in community. Now here at Calvary, we're trying to live out that principle in smaller groups. Now, why is that? Look in verse 19. I'll give you the insight into why we're using this strategy to live this text today. Paul says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Question. How are you going to know something that's not knowable? See what he's saying? How are you going to know something that's beyond knowledge? Well, the only way that happens is if you experience it. See, what he's trying to say here is the love of God, that's not a teachable concept. You can't stand up here week after week and lecture about the love of God and have people get it. Now, what we do here is important, but Paul's point is, is that the love of God is not a knowable idea. It's not an intellectually communicable idea. It's not something you can teach someone else. It's something you experience. I can tell you until I'm blue in the face how much God loves you, but until you experience His love, it's all just wasted words. And so the question is, how can somebody experience the love of God? Well, here at Calvary, the strategy that we have for trying to help that happen 
is smaller groups. You see, in smaller community, we can't do it in 5,000-person community on a Sunday morning. In smaller groups, when you're with that group of people who is your sort of family at Calvary, they're the people who are caring for you. If you're going to have a baby, they're the ones coordinating meals, who are coming to visit you in the hospital, who are helping you when you're struggling with the loss of a loved one, who are rejoicing with you when you get a new job. You see, when that kind of care happens, that is an expression of God's love for you. And when you express that kind of care for another you experience God's love through your actions. See, that's how we experience God's love. When others serve us and are kind to us, and when we are kind to them, God's love is manifest and we experience it. That happens here in smaller groups. It's simply impossible for us to get 5,000 people to all bring you a meal when you have a baby. That would be a lot of food. You can even see the impossibility of trying to get everybody in the room to know your name but in a smaller group, then God's love is experienced through the care we offer to one another and the care that we receive. It also is experienced during time of prayer. One of the distinctives of a small group at Calvary is, is that it's a group that prays together. If you're not praying for one another, you're not a smaller group. You're something, but you're not a smaller group. You see, every Thanksgiving Eve, we have a very special service at Calvary. Everybody comes, uh, everybody's invited to come and simply share stories. And we sit around the sanctuary and people share stories about what God's been doing in our lives. And you know, it's an incredibly encouraging service. And you listen about what God is doing and you can't help but feel overwhelmed at how amazing God is. But inevitably, at the end of that service, every year, without fail, four or five people come up to me. I just, I'm just ready for it, I'm waiting for it. They come up and they say the same thing. We should do this more often. <laughs> and you know what my response is? We do. Every week in smaller community. That's what small groups do. That's what adult congregations do. We get together and we're praying for one another. And we're rejoicing when God does something amazing. You see, if God isn't doing anything in my life, but he's doing something in a small group member's life, then I'm reminded the same God who's doing that is in my life. And it helps me to experience God's love. That's why that encouragement continues to happen. Every time a story of God's love is shared, that happens in smaller community. We experience God's love as we live out His Word. This is why many of our small groups are sermon discussion-based small groups. What that means is they get, through, get together throughout the week to figure out if I made any sense or not. <laughs> no, I mean, in reality, the goal is to get together to talk about, okay, that's really great stuff. Now, how do we live it out? Because as wonderful as this is, there's 5,000 people here. I can't spend time with each and every individual talking about how to live out this passage in your case. But in the small group, that happens. And people hold you accountable and say, remember, we heard from the Lord on Sunday. You're not supposed to act that way. Come on, let's not do that. And as we obey God, we experience His love for us. You see, essentially, small groups smaller community, whether adult congregations or small groups or whatever they might be, they are designed for us to live life together. 
And when you live life together, you experience the love of God in community. And when you experience the love of God, you grow in the depth of your understanding of how much God loves you. And when you grow in the depth of your understanding of how much God loves you, then your life is full of the presence of God. So what are you supposed to do with this information? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not currently part of a small group, you should become part of a small group. Not simply so that we can make our pie chart all blue and not red. <laughs> you see, this is, not, this is not a church program. This is our attempt to live out Ephesians chapter 3. Now, other churches do it other ways. Nobody gets around the idea that this is done in community. They may experience community more on a Sunday morning than we do. They may have other mechanisms. That's fine. God's given them those ways of doing that. The way He's given to us is through this small group system. And so if God's called you to Calvary Church, He's calling you to be part of a smaller group. If He wasn't, He'd be calling you somewhere else. He's commanded us to do community. This is how He's given to us to do community. Therefore, you need to be part of this form of community. Whether that's an adult congregation or a neighborhood small group, or one of our serving groups, you will not be able to experience God's love. You'll hear about God's love, but you won't be able to truly experience it except in community. And so I'm encouraging you, come be part of what God is doing here in this way. You don't want a mediocre Christian life. It doesn't mean that there won't be any struggles. What it means is, is that God has said, you cannot know how much I love you until you experience it in community. Second, if you are in a smaller group, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what it's about. It's not a social club. It's not a classroom lecture. It's not an opportunity to become really smart by learning a whole bunch of concepts. The small groups are getting together for the purpose of experiencing life together so that we might grow in our understanding of how much God loves us. That happens when we care for one another. That happens when we pray for one another and share testimonies of what God's doing. That happens as we hold one another accountable to live out God's Word in our daily experience. So if you're part of a smaller group, talk together with your smaller group. Are we doing these things? Can we do a better job of caring for one another? Can we do a better job of testifying to what God's doing in our life? Can we do a better job of holding each other accountable and encouraging one another to live out the truth that we're hearing on Sundays or that we're reading in God's Word? And know this, Satan does not want you part of a smaller community. See, Satan can't stop you. He can't stop God from loving you. The only thing he can mess up is whether you know if God loves you or not. And he knows full well that if you and I get how deeply we're loved, it will change everything. And so you will experience spiritual opposition. There'll be some weeks you just don't want to go. There'll be some personal conflicts that will happen. They're not easy, and the reason they're not easy is because they're important. And so my encouragement is, Keep fighting at it. 
Keep working at it. In community, God is experienced, and Satan tries to stop that. Perhaps the story or the picture that Brest brings this home for me is one of the small groups that we have here at Calvary. It's led by Bill and Janice Askell. They meet every other Wednesday night at uh, Bill and Janice's home. It's a small group that my parents are in. And my father, who is uh, in his 80s, is experiencing the decline that comes with getting older. And there is a decrease in abilities. There's a decrease in capability. And with that, as we all know, can come some levels of insecurity, of hopelessness. Why am I here? What role do I play? But in that small group, my dad is loved. He's accepted for who he is. A group this size is hard when you're that age and you have the things that he's struggling with. But in that smaller community, he's accepted for who he is and what he can do, and he doesn't actually participate a whole lot. But when he's there, he's experiencing God's love. This is why every Wednesday he wants to know, is it small group night? Even though they only meet every other Wednesday. See, I'm not sure he can articulate what's going on, but Ephesians 3 says what's happening. When he goes to the small group, he's not being taught about God's love. He's experiencing God's love. And his greatest need in his declining physical and mental abilities is to know how deeply he's loved. And that's true no matter what age you are. Our greatest need as human beings is to know that we are loved. God has given us community as the means by which that happens. And at Calvary, he has led us down this path so that in adult congregations, in small groups, in service groups, these are the places where we experience the love of God. And the more we experience God's love, the more we grasp the depth of it, the more our lives are filled with the fullness of who God is. That's Paul's prayer for us. That's my prayer for you. And this is God's desire for all of us.